Welcome back to the Olive Tree Church Podcast. If you're new to this channel, we hope you find this content helpful and inspiring. To find out more about OTC, head over to our website or social media channels linked in the description. We hope you enjoy this past Sunday's message. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Oh, you look serious. Did I pummel you too hard last week? We are, should we take a moment of just silence for the All Blacks? Wasn't that beautiful? When, when South Africa hurts the All Blacks that much, oh, it's just joy. Anyway, just a, a last announcement. Um, next, sorry, we've got an alpha coming. So if you're exploring Christianity, you want to find kind of, if there's any fact behind this, you want to understand a little bit more, Alpha's coming up soon. You can see details behind me. We'd love to get you on board. Now, today we are, are doing part two of You're Doing It Wrong, this relationship series. And uh, before I dive in, I want to tell you why and how I'm preaching. I'm not preaching to tell you like pop culture stuff. I'm not trying to make you happy. That's, that's not the goal. You'll tell by how much I hurt you in the sermon. Uh, I am trying to give you a very realistic and beautiful picture of marriage. And the reason that I'm so focused on that, especially in the first two sessions, that from there we'll get into more and more like tools and how you do stuff. The reason I, I'm so determined to do that is because this world right now is shouting so much, you can't trust marriage don't worry about marriage, think about something else. The, the messaging is so bad, and we have a generation coming up underneath us that is going to be utterly devastated if we don't start to get this right. So I am preaching to you for someone else. Cool? So we, we're going hardcore into this. It'll be lots and lots of fun. Next week, we've got Christy Hersman preaching, and she travels actually all around the country speaking to uh, people about relationships speaking to teens and, and tweens about sex and phones and social media and all of that. So she, she'll be fantastic. She's going to be speaking about connection in the morning. And in the evening, she'll be talking about dating and not doing the ding ding without the ring ring. Anyway, I am now going to dive into part two on, on marriage. So last week, we started off, we said that though it's not PC to say this, men and women are different. And so we showed this picture of the brain, and we said that what happens in a woman's brain is extraordinary, and all happens in the same amount of time as a man's brain. In a woman's brain, because of different hormones, what happens is that thoughts go from one side to the other, to the other, to the other, to the back, to the front, all in the same amount of time. And what we said is, as a result, women are more intuitive, they're more able to... to quickly process a lot of information, notice a whole bunch of things, see what's going on, and understand how to put that all into a mental map. Guys, not so much. So what will happen, uh, I used a similar example, but not the same, is that a woman will walk into a room, and she will say that John over there looks like he won the lotto, but Jane doesn't look like that at all, and there's probably something going on over there. And she'll see Mark, and he's with... 
Louise, and, and Mark and Louise look incredibly happy. That's beautiful. And she'll see Jess, who is dressed in this absolutely beautiful dress, and, but it's snugly fitting on her. And she will think to herself, I wonder if I could wear that. And then it'll bounce to this side and she'll go, I shouldn't have eaten that donut. And then she'll go, I wonder if my husband saw her. And then she'll go, but it's fine because he's also looking a little flabby. And then, and then she'll go, I wonder where I can get a drink. This will all happen in milliseconds. The husband will walk in and he'll go, oh, awesome. There's John, there's Mark, there's the bar. Oh, Jess is looking hot. And in he goes, that's the end. That's how it works. We are different. We're different in, in so many different ways. Um, ladies, your brains actually operate hotter than ours. The temperature is hotter. Because in the engine room of the brain, there is so much going on in there. You have evolved past us. The reason I know this is because I will often hear my wife shouting, Geordie, are those underpants dirty? I've never heard her say that to my little daughter. I've never seen my daughter's underwear on the floor. It just doesn't happen. Geordie's, he's like most men. He, you will find them on the floor the whole time. You know what he will do when she shouts, oh, is your underwear dirty? He will go and grab it, like, like most men, they, they won't admit this, pick it up, take a good whiff and go, no, mom, these ones are clean. And he'll go put them back into the, the laundry, I mean, into his drawer, which basically means I've only worn them once. That is what goes on with men. We have not evolved. We are different in so many different ways. When it comes to sex, it's fascinating how men's brains work and how, how women's brains work. Men are basically slow, um, uh, microwaves. That's, that's basically what a, a man is. A woman is a, a slow cooker. So if you want to have a really good night, what you will do is you'll wake up in the morning and you'll wash dishes and you'll make the bed. And you see, women are, are they're attracted by kindness and deeper relationship and connection, which is really, really good for some of you because you're not that good looking. But she, So they will connect to all of those things. And, uh, and then... Men are completely different. But if you do all the acts of kindness, it's called chore play. If you, if you do all of those things, then you're in for a good night. If a woman wants to turn on a man, she'll take her top off. And there it is. It's just done. We're just different. Everywhere you look, we're different. And the reason I want to highlight our differences is because some people say these things like, marriage should be easy. Are you joking? It shouldn't be this hard? You're kidding me. Have you seen how different we are? In absolutely every area, we are different. And so what we said last week is you get two kind of groups of people. You get one group of people who have given up on marriage. They're going like 45% divorce rate in the States. We're following closely behind that. There's so much pain. Why on earth would we get married? And to them, I want you to know that the purpose of marriage, this is what we said last week, the purpose of marriage is not happiness. The purpose of marriage is the glorification of Jesus. It's making God happy and being changed to look more like Jesus. That's the purpose of marriage. God hooked you up with sneaky little tricks and chemistry so that you would come together, fall in love, fall out of love, work out love, and turn into something that is beautiful for the world around you. And we said, so one group 
are disillusioned by marriage. And of course you'll be disillusioned by marriage if your purpose for marriage is so that I can be happy. The other group of people, and we said this, this obviously wouldn't be you, but, but other people, they believe that if you can just find the right one, if I can just find the right person, then I'll be happy. Now, if you're over like 30, 30, who's over 35? Just stick up your hands if you're over 35. Some of you didn't put your hands up, but I know the truth. <laughs> we grew up on Romeo and Juliet. Okay, it didn't end well. I was reminded of that after the service. It didn't end well. But we, this is what we believe about Romeo and Juliet. We believe that there was only one Romeo and there was one Juliet. And when they found each other, Happily and then sad. But happily ever after is the story that we are told. I mean, you watch Shrek, happily ever after. Everything we watch is about happily ever after. We watch movies for one hour and 45 minutes about when are you two going to realize you love each other, kiss, and be happily ever, ever after. That's just how we interpret the world. And so we look for the one. And do you remember what it was like? Somewhere down the line, we find the one, and we have all those endorphins and all those lovely feelings, and you just can't get your hands off each other. You just, it is just so good to be around each other. You'll drive incredibly far to see one another. After you're married, you'll hide from each other. But you will, you will do everything you could to, can to be with one another because you believe that they will make you happily forever after. The problem is that once you've been married for a little while, you realize makeup is an extraordinary thing. And you ladies, you'll you realize that what your friend said about him is actually true. You just couldn't see it. And, and you'll both realize their breath smells. They go to the toilet. Like you will see things that you could not see, see whilst the endorphins were going around. And you'll wake up one day and you'll go, Matt, not only... Am I seeing stuff that I didn't think I would see, that I didn't think was true to her? But she's changed. She, she changed from when she was 23, when she thought I was incredible and just didn't want to change me, to when she was 27, when she worked out, this is what I want to do with my life, you need to change, to when she was 32 and you guys did some stuff and now there's an appendage called a child. She changed, she changed and changed and changed. And this is often what happens. People go, I married the wrong one. Because if I'd known how she would change, who she would become, I wouldn't have married her. So I married the wrong one. Let me go look for another different one. Now, some of you had the maturity to go, Man, she has changed when she was 23. That was that girl. Now, she, when she was 27, she became that girl. When she's 32, she became that girl. It's like every five years I get a new wife. It is amazing. <laughs> it must have been a lady who clapped that one off. But what most people did, and the next generation did, is they went, I saw dad with that one. And we all thought mom was the one. And then dad decided he needed another one. And so he chose a different one and he said that she was the one. And so the generation coming up doesn't believe in a one. So they're going from 
one to another to another, looking for someone with whom they believe they will be compatible. It's the word compatible. And all their movies don't end up with happily ever after. We, we grew up and we knew as soon as they kissed, they were happily ever after. If they got married, they were definitely happily ever after. The movies begin with sad in the relationship today. And then they go, whilst they're in that marriage, she's having an affair and he's having an affair. And suddenly they find true love for a moment whilst they're working out if they're compatible, and then they break up. And by the end of the series, they've gone through two or three relationships, but now maybe they're with one that they're compatible with. That is what they're watching. They are searching for someone whom they're compatible with. Now, I decided to do some research. There's an incredible website called, um, uh, what is it called? It is called the National, somewhere here. It's a good website. Find it on the first one. Uh, and here's what they say, National Marriage Project. It said that for men, when they talk about compatibility, this is what they mean. They're looking for someone who's willing to take them as they are and not change them. Sounds completely different to when we were growing up. More than a few of the men expressed resentment at women who tried to change them. Some of the men describe marital compatibility as finding a woman who will fit into their life. If you're truly compatible, then you don't have to change, one man commented, which is a remarkable statement. I mean, when you think about it, it is quite funny. But guys basically want a low-maintenance spouse. She has to be fun, smart, hot, with many common interests, and who, on top of it all, is supportive of their personal goals and the way they are living now. Basically, she wants or he wants Siri in a body. Ladies, when you, when you check out the research, I've tweaked it into my language, but they basically want an attractive, kind, got-it-together guy, which I think means very rich, who would encourage and support her personal goals and who has a romantic and thoughtful nature. Still trying to find that man. Basically, the old spice ad. You see the old spice ad? The dude with muscles, pitches up on a boat with a horse, diamonds. Yeah, and you wonder why people are disillusioned with marriage? Not today. I want to lead us into a different perspective. Last week I started it. Today I'm going to go a little bit harder about what marriage should be and how we should think about it. Because a hundred years ago, Marriage was there to civilize a man. The thinking was that the greatest characteristic of manhood was self-mastery. A man who indulged in excessive eating, drinking, sleeping, or sex, who failed to rule, rule himself, was considered unfit to marry. But both men and women today see marriage as a me thing. How do I get the most out of it? We're not thinking about the community we're trying to affect. We're not thinking generations to come. We're not thinking about how we build lives that impact the world. We're thinking about how do you help me satisfy me? I want to turn to a text that uh, points us in a different direction. It's 1 Corinthians 13. It says this. You've heard this so many times at so many weddings, but it goes like this. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where the prophecies, they'll cease. Where their tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Then he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I have a child. She was two. When Ames was doing that prayer moment, she was screaming. She was about to have a tantrum. When a two-year-old has a tantrum, especially if it's your third child, it's adorable. If my nine-year-old has a tantrum, she goes to her room. Why? Because my nine-year-old has to put away childish ways. When you're 45 and you're still thinking in childish ways, there's a problem. Now, I'm going to list. I've got four childish thoughts that I'm sure nobody in here, because you're a smart community, not a single person here thinks any of these thoughts. I'm just going to tell you for other people. Here are some childish thoughts. The first one is this. It is childish to believe that there is someone out there that if you find will make you happy for the rest of your life. It is a childish belief. Now, it's cute and all. It's just childish. Now, I know that you all believe that. But let's just be honest for a moment. Married people, do you ever have this thought? Don't put up your hands. It'll go badly for you. If she could just become a little bit more like Jane, I would be a whole lot happier. If he could just become a little more like Bob, I would be happier. Because if you're having that thought, what you're thinking is that there is a person, or like a 2.0 of my current, who can make me happy. And there is only one person that can make you happy, and it's not your spouse, it's Jesus. There's only one person who can change you, only one person who can love your woundedness, only one person who actually puts up with you completely and loves you as you are, Jesus. Now, let me just take this a little bit further because unfortunately, when we have the one kind of permeating somewhere in our brain, we also believe this, that if I find that one, I'll change. All my rotten habits will change. If I find the one, I won't do porn anymore. If I find the one, I won't overeat. I won't overspend. I won't say bad things to people. I will be healed. And then you guys, you know what happens because you've got like six months to two years of endorphins. You change. It's incredible. I fell in love with the one. I changed. You know what happened? You switched drugs. 
you grabbed hold of endorphine drugs that last for a while, and then you know what happens? You wake up one day, and you go, you have needs too. This sucks. And on that day, the habits you failed to crush come back. And generally, because now you're hurt and a little bit resentful, they come back with attitude and interest. Now, it doesn't affect you guys because you don't ever think like this. Other people. Let me tell you another one, another childish thought. Compatibility. That's another thing. Let me tell you why. Because compatibility is defined as this, a state in which two things are able to exist or occur together without problems or conflict. No such thing. It's wonderful. Alignment. That's, that's possible. Alignment is when you take two incompatible people and you help them align themselves to common vision and values for their lives, and you redirect how they're thinking. That's what we do in premarital. We take incompatible people, and we show them how incompatible they are, and we help them get alignment for their life. Now, all the single ladies, all the single One day, you're way too smart to think like this, but one day, some guy is probably going to come up to you, and he will say to you, if we're going to get married, what we need to do is live together so that we can find out if we're sexually compatible. But you're too smart for that. But here's, here's what you should say. That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. Why? Because it takes about 10 years to peak in your sex life. Guys, that should make you so happy. You've got like 10 years to keep practicing until like you're like, woo. And along the way, you're going to have like a few years where it's really bad. And then it's going to get better and better and better. And 10 years in, average married couple, you are at the best. And I'm 15 years in and proud. It is good. <laughs> That's just a sneaky guy trying to jump into bed with you. That is, that is not a thing. You grow in that. Now, here's, here's why I want you to know we go for the compatibility thing. It's because what we're saying is I want to fall in love. I don't want to work at love. I want to fall into a relationship with all the endorphins that pulls me along. I don't want to work hard at a relationship that requires me to output and love. Fourth one. This one's a little to the point, and judging by your faces, I've hurt you already. So, it is childish to think that you can change your spouse. It is childish to think that you can change your spouse. When I um, got married for the first six years, I did things that, that I'm quite repented of, and I'll, I'll tell you how I repented later, but I would just like 
throw a little bit of angry her way, a little bit of withdrawal, a little bit of rejection, a little sneaky here. Because what I was trying to do is change her to be more like Jane, who would make me happy. Jane has her own issues. She'll also make you sad at times. But I was just trying to manipulate and control and, and just sneakily throw a little jab in here, throw a little thing here. You know what that is? That's trying to play God. And when humans try to play God, God says that's like being Satan. You can't change your spouse. Here's what you can do. You can be vulnerable and say, babe, this is what I need. Babe, I'm longing for this. I desire that. And then you can get on your knees and pray, Jesus, hit him. Jesus, hit him again. Beat him, Jesus. But you cannot put in the screws and withdraw sex and spend more money and cut back on this. That stuff is control, and God hates it. You see, when I see my wife, I am looking not primarily at my wife, but the father's daughter. And my job is to create an environment where she thrives to become all she was called to be. And her job is to create an environment where I thrive to be all that I can be, not to change each other. If you're trying to change each other, you need this verse that goes, love is patient. I want you to just think about that for a moment, because you hear this so often that you don't remember it. Love is patient. Jesus is patient with you. Love is kind. Jesus is so kind to you. It does not envy, it does not boast, it isn't proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Friends, when we are in that romance stage, love is a feeling. But that feeling actually isn't love. It's just God's sneaky trick to get us together. Love, you've sung about this. You've said love is an act of your will. And you have to grow in the way of love. Now, let me speak to singles and then I'll speak to married. Andy Stanley, he, he, he has this brilliant story. And I don't know how many years ago I heard the story, but it just seared into my memory. And when you've seen how men's brains work and how little we care about stuff, you know it's important. He tells this story about a daughter, and she was a hard jawler. She was a daughter of a Christian family, and she was going out partying left, right, and center. And the one night she comes back, after meeting this guy. And she says, Mom, you won't believe this guy I met. He was so awesome. He was a Christian, but not a Christian like me. He was a Christian like you guys. He talked about Jesus. He talked about 
purpose and plans. He asked me about what I felt like I was made to do. He asked me tons of questions. We talked all night. He didn't do what other boys did, kind of tried to do and what they try and get. He just talked, and it was so amazing. I think I found the one. And her mom, who obviously was very brave and very connected to her daughter, stopped and she said, sweetie, I love you so much. But if he really is like that, and he's really all about God like that, then sweetheart, he's probably not looking for you. And she said that when she heard that, she knew how much her mom loved her. She knew how much her mom cared about her. She wasn't in a space of mom trying to manipulate me. She just sat on the floor and cried. And in that moment, she got it. If I want to find the one that I want to be with, I have to become the one that he wants to be with. You see, this whole message is that we can't go out and find the one, the compatible, the person. We can't go out and change the one. We have to become the one. It's not about finding. It's about becoming. Now, marriage. After I had marriage nightmare, I, um, I came back home. And I read a book called Keep Your Love On. Brilliant book. And, uh, and what I would do is I would start to catch myself doing all the sneaky things we do to manipulate our spouses. Yeah? You, you know those things? And I would, I'd start to catch myself. And every time I, I caught myself, I'd go, Jesus, I don't know why I keep doing this. Please forgive me. Please heal me. Please, Jesus, change me. And you know what I was doing? Just chuck me my jacket there. I was doing what the Bible tells us to do. I was putting on love. I was putting on love. You know why you have to put something on? Because it's not intrinsically in you. You have to cover yourself with someone else's love. And the Bible says that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, but you have to put it on. And what would happen is that I would keep putting it on. And then she'd do something that annoyed me, and I'd take it off. And then I'd go for a walk and go, God, I'm so sorry. And I'd put it on. And you know what? I did this five times, and then my marriage was fixed. I did this for two years, and then my marriage began to change. Now, let me tell you why. Because inside of me and inside of pretty much all of us was a wounded little boy. And when that boy didn't get what he wanted, he would throw a tantrum and get angry or throw a tantrum and ignore or throw a tantrum and manipulate. And eventually what I started to do is I started to go to Ames and say, babe, I'm really angry right now, but it's the little boy in me. So can you just leave me for a little while? I need to have a chat to him and tell him to grow up. It's just going to take a little while. Now, let me tell you why this is a big issue. A big issue. Can I borrow your wife for a second? Sorry, Sam. Do you mind coming up? 
There we go. She's surfing like a champ. You get married, and what happens is generally one of you is wounded, and one of you is immature and needs to grow. And you start getting some like good input, and then you start jogging. Sorry, it's awkward. But because I'm wounded, and she just needs to grow, she starts jogging faster than me. And when she starts jogging faster than me, we start getting pulled in circles. And then she goes, why the heck can't you your stuff together? And you're going, I am doing my best. And year after year, this happens, an unawareness that you're wounded, and she's growing. And she keeps pulling out ahead. And I'm trying to hold on for dear life. And I'm trying to fight for this marriage, but the little boy inside of me isn't getting healed because I'm not putting on love to cover over all my unloved. And the result is pain here and disillusionment because how the heck can I work with this person? And pain here and shame. Oh, thank you. You were amazing. Shame because why can't I change enough? And you're both missing the point. The point is we are more wounded than you can imagine. We are more immature than you can think. And we have to put on his love again and again and again. And in two years, psychologists will tell you that it'll take at least two years for you to heal up. But a healed child is still a child. That child then needs to be a teenager. And you know what it was like being a teenager. I mean, you were a nightmare. We were all nightmares. Then the child has to go through being a teenager. It generally takes two to four years for people to heal up and be useful in marriage. And oh, I went to counseling once. If marriage is about the glory of God and becoming like Jesus, then come on, people. Don't be childish in your thinking. You need God more than you can even start to imagine. You need the Holy Spirit pouring His love into you, healing the woundedness, making you grow so that one day putting it on is just what you do. And you can walk around and people say, man, he's so patient. He's so kind. Why aren't you like that? No. <laughs> you can start to be healed. Friends, God is so wanting to take some of your lives and bring healing to woundedness and wholeness to immaturity and make you look like Jesus, not even for you, for your kids, the next generation, the people around you, because we need a people who look after people because they're broken. So I'm going to, sorry, Justy, would you mind guitaring again? I want to pray for you. You know the one thing that will kill a marriage? All marriage counselors will say this. If you've got this, you're in deep trouble. Resentment. If you're carrying resentment, 
And it doesn't just have to be with your current spouse. It can be with your divorced and someone before. It can be with a parent. If you carry resentment, it will strangle the love of God out of you. When I got into trouble, I got resentful. She told me she would be this and she turned into that. And You know, resentful people generally have good reasons for being resentful. It's just God says you can't hold it because I didn't resent you and I deserve to resent you, but I loved you. So let go of your resentment. Just grab hold of your hands. Why don't you just stand up? And those of you who are struggling with resentment right now, you want to let go of this. And those of you who don't know Jesus, Man, I don't know how you do marriage without it. I've seen some people do it. I think it's amazing. But I don't know how you survive marriage without Jesus. But when you've got him, man. So if you've got resentment, put out your hands and just go, Jesus, I put this at the cross. Please will you take it away from me? And please will you give me your love in return? I don't deserve it. But because you're my savior, I put on love. I put it on to cover over. And I give you my resentment. And tomorrow when you wake up, give him your resentment. And say, Jesus, take this away and give me love. And if you have to put on love 20 times, 30 times, 40 times a day, you just keep doing it because the God of love will pour His love into your heart. And one day you'll wake up and you'll think like a man and not like a child. And love will flow out of you. Now, if you're not a Christian today, and you can feel Jesus knocking on your heart, He is searching for those whose hearts far from him. He's been searching for you. If you're one, you can feel right now the Holy Spirit is kind of tapping on your heart saying, come home. Why don't you lift your hand so I can pray for you. See anyone? See one hand. See anyone else? See your hand. See anyone else? See your hand, man. See your hand. Okay, for those three or four people, see your hand. Five people, just those people, just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that when I was so unlovely, you died for me to make me lovely. Please come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and take my resentment and give me your love instead. Lord, rinse me out and wash me out with your love and change me from the inside. And I want to pray for you now. Holy Spirit, grab them. Grab them and save them. And go deep inside of them, so deep, Lord, that they can't turn away from you. And make us whole. And make us healed. So that we can affect people in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. May He fill you. May His love cover you. And may you be a blessing this week. God bless. Have a good week.